Welcome to the SMA News Today podcast, episode 73. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer, and joining me today is Tyler Dikema from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Tyler is a musician, an artist, um, big punk rock fan, um, and he has SMA type 2. So really excited to be here today. Tyler, thanks for coming on today. Hey, thanks, man. I'm excited to be on here. Absolutely. And this is the first episode of 2021, so I think we're all very listeners and those present here are very glad to put 2020 behind us. So I'm excited <laughs> about this conversation for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Hey, I'm honored to be the first one of the year. Oh, man, definitely. This will be a really fun one. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Well, before we get started, if everyone could listen to a brief word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Genentech, the makers of a new FDA-approved treatment for SMA. To learn about our study results across different types of people with SMA, visit approvedforsma.com. That's approvedforsma.com. All right. Well, Tyler, so I followed you on Instagram for a while. I know a little bit about your story, about your interests. And uh, could you just give listeners out there just a brief background on who you are and, you know, um, your diagnosis story, all that? Uh, Yeah. Sure. Where should I start? So if you want to start, um, like, when when were you diagnosed with SMA? I mean, I know you and I both had our whole lives, but that and then just kind of, like, yeah. growing up in family life. Yeah. Um, I was diagnosed uh, at 18 months. Um, I was diagnosed in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, at the University of Michigan. My parents were super young and uh, pretty poor and not really i mean i don't think a lot of people at the time i was that was that would have been 1991 a lot of people didn't know much about sma and so being young and uninformed they really had no idea what was going on but i wasn't hitting milestones and um thankfully you know they had the understanding to figure out what was going on so they took me to u of m and i was diagnosed there um through, you know, like a biopsy. I know that was pretty common back then to do like the biopsy diagnosis, that. And then I also got genetic testing. Um, and they found it I had type two. And at the time, as I'm sure you know, that was like a pretty dire, uh, awful thing. So my parents really thought it would not, I wouldn't last, but here I am 30 years later, thriving, man. Uh, but I grew up here in Grand Rapids. I was born and raised here in Grand Rapids. I was in like regular public schools uh, my whole childhood and teenage years. And I have a little brother. Uh, he's five years younger than me. And we just hung out like normal brothers do. I feel like I had a pretty normal childhood, to be honest with you. Um, sure. It, it was, I had my chores you know, um, I hung out in the neighborhood and whatever beyond, like all the other kids. It was, I had a good childhood. We didn't have a lot of resources, but um, we made everything work. And I'm really proud of the way that I grew up and proud of my parents, too. One thing I'm curious about, so since you have a younger brother, so I'm the youngest of three. Both my siblings don't have SMA. And, you know, so, yeah. um, so it's like, 
I, you know, I, I also didn't really have anyone to kind of like, quote unquote, pave the way for me, even though had all their siblings, they were always super supportive. But like, you know, I've talked mm-hmm. to other um, families on this podcast where like some of them, both siblings have SMA. So they kind of have like, they kind of like work with each other. But for you being like, uh, you know, you're the only one in the family with it and, you know, getting into the school system, all of that, where, what were the kind of things you learned along the way? I mean, like, like, for instance, did you have an aide? Did you have like accommodations like that? Uh, in school? Uh, okay, so my elementary school, there were other disabled kids there, like quite a few. Uh, it was it was a unique elementary school, and so that was pretty that was pretty cool. It got me really in touch with my identity as a disabled person at a young age. But then once I got to you know sixth and seventh and eighth grade, and got to like middle school, I just started going to like regular public schools where. Suddenly, I was the only kid in the wheelchair there, and pretty much the only one with a visible, you know, disability in middle school and high school. I, and I don't think they were prepared for me all that much, to be honest with you. I didn't really have an aid. I remember, like, my first day at middle school, like, me and my family had, we'd never had any thought on, like, oh, Ty might need, like, help at school because... In my elementary school, uh, you know, there were multiple teachers assigned per classroom, and they had, like, people in each classroom to help the people with disabilities in there. So, like, I feel like I got thrown into the fire a little bit uh, and had to learn really, learn and adapt really fast. I think those are the things that uh, schooling taught me most, is how to be adaptable um, and ask for help too. I really feel like my self-advocacy began at like 12, 13 years old when I was sitting, I was in a school, in a different school district than I had initially been going to. So all these people I didn't know and I was the only disabled kid, I really had to like, just learn how to ask, you know, like for the things that I need. Absolutely. I mean, that's, no, it's something I talk about a lot and write about and I think for me, it came more, I mean, I think I, to an extent, I was always, like, I had to do some advocacy, but, like, my mom did a lot when I was younger, and then I did advocacy more later on in high school and college, but, yeah, you said something really interesting Mm -hmm. there about how, um, like, early on in school, that was when you started to kind of, like, really um, take part of your identity as a disabled person and embrace that. Well, because I'm curious about that, because for me, and something I've written about a lot, I didn't really start to embrace that till much later, like in at least high school and definitely in college. But when I was younger, I didn't really, you know, want to think about all that stuff or um, really think about Mm -hmm. that as a core piece of my identity. Was there anything in particular that um, led you to that and made you really interested in um, just, you know, just disability identity and advocacy? Yeah, for sure. And let me make it clear, like, it comes in waves, you know. I'm sure, sure you sure. know that. And my listeners know that for the most part, too. And, like, I remember, you know, being, like, 13, 14, and that's when it kind of reversed a little bit. And I went back into sort of wishing I wasn't disabled, you know. But, like, when I was young and I, I went to school, like I said, with other kids in wheelchairs, and so... I didn't really feel out a place there uh, in my elementary school. And I also went to MDA camp uh, yeah. starting at six years old. And that was just like a place of such acceptance and like 
beyond acceptance, it was like a celebration of of being disabled. Um, dang, I went off tangent uh, for your question. No, 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 it's great. No, it's great. Yeah. Uh, can you repeat your question? Though? Yeah, no, I, well, I no, you hit on it really well. I was asking about like you know I, when you were younger, you talked about really starting to embrace disability identity um, early yeah. on. And like you said, it comes in waves. I totally agree with that, and I think. It's really interesting the experience of having what that the impact that has when you're at school with other wheelchair users because like that's not something I really had there were like I was for the most part the only wheelchair user in my class and like around so like wow. um and like but I also had another guy on the podcast not too long ago who had that experience as well he went to an elementary school that was um a lot of students with disabilities and that it's a really interesting um uh, facet to make so i yeah, and i think that experience does make an impact on, on you uh when you're younger yeah i feel i feel like really unlucky for having gone to that school yeah um yeah it was really cool and i guess the point i'm getting at is just being around you know uh people in the disability community you know like even though at that age you're not really thinking of it as community or identity, you know what I mean? Sure. But like being around people uh, like you that understand, you know, um, it just makes you feel so much better and so much more connected to others and even yourself. So that's great. That's great. No, it's a really yeah. cool experience. And, um, and along with that, well, kind of switching subjects a little bit, but also, you know, talking about your child and growing up. So, you know, I, I yeah. like I said in the intro, I know you're a huge music and art fan. Um, that's like, you know, your core passions. Was that something you were introduced to, like both those things and like all that? Were, was that something you were interested in and fell in love with from an early age? Or what was that evolution like? Yeah, music and art have been like core to my life from from the get-go, I feel like uh, my dad was extremely involved in music uh, as far as going to shows and being involved with other people in bands and promoting their bands. And I know he did like some some roadie work, kind of stuff like that. So he was always like really, really not just into music, but like involved in music. And then... Uh, you know, my mom was huge into music as well. I think uh, people that are passionate about music are drawn together, and so they were definitely drawn together over music. So I definitely had music coming at me from both of my parents, for sure. And then as far as art goes, too, they always, always encouraged me to draw. Uh, that was something, you know, I think most kids love to draw at, one point or another and i i always say i just sort of never stopped drawing yeah there's just so many memories of of just drawing with my parents and them encouraging that uh and just never stopping encouraging that so it was definitely influenced by them in a big way that's awesome man. that's awesome and were you yeah. did, like with music did you start playing pretty early on or was that later on or what yeah, um, I actually, when I was a little, when I was a lot more mobile, I should say, uh, in elementary school, I was in the band. We had an elementary school band. Uh, I think it was 
for fourth and fifth graders. And I was in it. I could, at the time, I could play violin. So I played violin in elementary school. And then once I went to middle school, I joined uh, choir. I was in choir for three, maybe four years. And then, uh, you know, after that, I went to college and I played some piano uh, and a little bit of ukulele. And then after college, I you know was losing some some more mobility and was unable to play those much. So I began to play like lap guitar, and I started focusing on my singing again. Which let me be clear, I'm not exactly great at any of these musical things, but I have a lot of fun with it. So that's what's important, man. Uh. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome, though. That's awesome. And actually, well, I do want to get to college in just a minute. But before we go on, uh, we have one more uh, word from our sponsor. So if everyone could listen, and we will be right back. This podcast is made possible by a sponsorship from Genentech. Are you living with SMA? Or are you a caregiver for someone who is? A new treatment has just been FDA approved based on studies of different types of people living with SMA. Genentech extends a special thanks to all of the individuals, families, and healthcare providers who participated in the studies that led to making this new treatment option a reality. To learn more about this new treatment, visit approvedforsma.com. Okay, well, yeah, no, that's great about performing and everything and like, oh, and dude, no shame. I mean, I, I can't sing at all. So like, I did theater growing up and like, I always avoided the musicals because I'm just like, no, I don't want to do Like, I mean, I love doing the fall plays and studio productions and all that. But when it came time to the musicals, yeah. I just did like publicity and tech stuff and that kind of thing. But like, I, I'm like, no. Oh, you that's cool. You don't want me to audition for that. Cause, <laughs> but that's <laughs> awesome. Well, and so. I love, oh, hey, I, I'm a big. I, I uh, My role here in the music scene in Grand Rapids is much less performance based and more promotional myself like yeah i do perform like here and there but in bite size you know pieces yeah, yeah, yeah. uh oh like do like guest vocal spots and stuff okay. like that more so than more so than you know fronting things but i do promote quite a bit here yeah well, and I've also seen, I'll get to the, like a lot of that too in a minute, too, but like I was reading some of your articles on uh, badcopy.com. So, like, uh, I know you yeah. like doing like reviews and interviews there. So, that, that's awesome. And I like, I'm not a, at all a music expert. So, I'm looking forward to checking out some of these bands you recommended to, <laughs> after. Cause I, uh, oh, cool. Yeah, man, for sure. But, um, but yeah, I want to, for a minute, I want to, um, so you know, we talked about your childhood and growing up and everything. Uh, and you mentioned college. So, Thinking back to, you know, when you were graduating high school and thinking about next step, what was like, what, what was your mindset then? And also, what did you do for college? Did you move out of home? Did you go like, um, what did you do then? Yeah, uh, my college experience was, I think it was valuable, first of all. Mm. Uh, but it was really challenging because I, like I said, my family didn't really have a whole lot of resources um about disability stuff other than the fact that i was uh privileged to be you know at that elementary school where there were other disabled people but we didn't really 
know what kind of services were out there or like I didn't really have like a a game plan to follow. And so going to college, it was like I was not ready to be on my own. Absolutely not. I didn't really understand hiring personal care workers, things like that. And so I knew that I would still be living at home. And so uh, the college I went to is here in Grand Rapids. Um, And then there's an off campus in Allendale, which is about a half hour away, which I would take a bus to um, for the day and then back. So I went, I went to college close to home because I still lived at home. It was great because I, I got to meet a whole lot of new people. You know, I, I, I think that was the biggest thing was it gave me a taste of going out into the world without having to fully throw myself into it quite yet. Yeah. Uh, as far as like what I studied, I began college as a journalism major and then I ended up switching to art and did that for a little while. And I had really good grades at college, but it ended up just being, it started to be overwhelming. The, the work of it all, not really fully understanding what I wanted quite yet. Yeah. And then inaccessibility too, it's starting to be a drag. So I actually didn't finish college, but I did go for um, two and a half years. Okay, cool. Yeah, I went to Grand Valley State University. Um, which is a good school. I think my favorite part about going to college was I ended up co-hosting uh, a radio show on our college radio. So nice. That was like my first taste of being involved in music. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Was it like um, interviewing local bands and that kind of thing? Or? We did that a little uh, here and there, but mostly we just played music and then me and my co-host would chat about music and what was going on and in scene and things like that uh so we didn't really have the connections yet to talk with specific bands we talked about like what shows we were going to and what albums were coming out things like that that's awesome that's awesome yeah, yeah it's not, that's also around the time I, well, I worked for the you know, student newspaper in college and wrote a lot of movie reviews mm-hmm. and entertainment features. And that's when I got to lot, know a lot of filmmakers in the area and then um, and then started podcasting with friends and stuff. So, yeah, it's oh, it's the best when you're just a, it's best time to just experiment and really get into your interest. Oh, big time. Yeah, that's awesome. Man. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and um. And then thinking about like so the next few years because yeah you're thirty now right yeah okay cool so like what 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 kind of like where did your life go kind of after that and um kind of as you figured things out yeah so after I decided you know to I guess drop out of college take a break from college sure uh, I I just kind of um, I, I started working on my art a lot. Uh, and making it my own way because that was a part of being an art major that that really bothered me was there were ways we were supposed to be making the art and then a lot of it was just so inaccessible to me um, to make things the way that they wanted me to make it even though you know my art was I think it was pretty good 
Can you expand on that just a little bit in terms of like what you mean by inaccessibility, like at art school? Like, like that, that I'm like curious about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there were, as an art major, at least at the school I was attending, there were uh, a lot of prerequisites to graduate as an art major. So there were art classes like sculpting and things like yeah. that that I just, I physically could not do. Like, yeah. I can't use a chisel. Like, yeah. Uh, and then even even in the ones where I thought I was excelling at, uh, you know, like design and drawing, you know, there were there were techniques that we were supposed to be using to get our art to come out a certain way. And those some of those techniques I just were I, I was unable to do because of my physical disability. Um, and so I would kind of work around those and my art would still look great, but because I didn't follow the, you know, the blueprint, it was not quote unquote right. And so it, it just, it really dragged me down as an artist. So that was, that was mostly the catalyst for why I stopped. And then yeah. once I left college and I started focusing on just my art and doing it how I can that was my focus for the next couple of years. And that was a really tough time too, because my dad had passed away and my uncle had passed away in that time. Kind of a lonely period where I was just making my art. And that was kind of it until like my, and cut me off if I'm going too far. No, no. I, I was gonna say, like, that's just a really fascinating. It's, it's a really fascinating and like, and just, like, uh, the aspect of ableism that people don't even think about. Like, I mean, things within structural systems like that, that, you know, it's right. like you were still producing great work. And it just that, you know, like, that's something that people don't think about a lot, that even in institutions like that that are supposed to, you know, promote creativity are, you know, yeah. like, putting limitations around people like that, uh, like us. And so that's, it's just a fascinating example. Yeah. You know, I hate that. That's but. a great point. I'm really glad that you pointed that out because that's exactly how I felt in that. So yeah, yeah. But anyway, as I was like making art throughout this period, uh, you know, I was still going to like a lot of shows, a lot of like local shows. I didn't know a lot of people personally in the music scene. Uh, you know, in my early twenties, but um, I was starting to meet people. You know, and by the time I was like 24, 25, I had started making a lot of friends that were in bands just because I was always at the show. Like that was my sanctuary. Sure. You know, when you're around people more, they they just become your friends. So I was around bands. And so all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I have a lot of friends that are in bands and i wanted to you know having grown up passionately about music i wanted to be involved more but you know didn't have maybe the the resources or capacity or even time to fully commit to being in bands you know uh, i thought i should use my skills what i'm good at to be involved in music anyway because there's more to that, more to music than just playing it. Sure. You know, you talked about uh, even how you were involved in promotion in like theater and stuff like that. 
that's a huge part of the music scene as well. Yeah. So I began writing uh, and producing my own zines, you know, like DIY magazines where I would interview local bands uh, and then print and uh, put together, you know, like 100, 150 copies of a zine. And then I would go to shows and I would sell those zines or trade them for other people's zines or CDs if, like, somebody wanted a review, things like that. And, yeah, the zine, uh, I called it Skitchin. Me and my friend Christopher make it together. I produce most of the content, and Christopher helps me with, like, the physical aspects of it as far as, you know, stapling, folding, you know, shipping, things like that. So that was kind of how I got involved in music was being around it and then wanting to have my own part of it and so i started writing and making art about it and then putting it back out there and that's kind of what i've been doing since yeah man that's awesome no and it's well and it's really cool to see like just how the things you had majored in in your college like you ended up using those too i mean those like passions because like you did the journalism aspect with the zines and yeah. websites and all that, and then um, so producing art and everything. So that that's great, man. Yeah, right. Yeah, it, it, that's why I say like, even though my college experience might not have been uh, the fullest, you know, uh, as some others, um, and it was challenging, you know, as far as accessibility and mental health stuff. You know, I was going through a lot in college, just trying to come to grips with like what I actually wanted. But, like, it was such a valuable experience being there. That's awesome, man. Well, and also, going back to the music scene for a minute and talking about accessibility. Um, So, like I said, I did theater, and I've done, like, some comedy and stuff like that. And I know, like, some comedy clubs I've been to, like, the stages aren't really accessible, and I've had to, like, work around that. What's been your experience there with going to music venues and concerts? You know, that's probably one of my most proud things is that having created my own space within the music scene, especially here in Grand Rapids, but even in some of the surrounding uh, areas here in the Midwest and like Chicago, Detroit kind of things. Um, I've created a voice for, for myself and I, I like using that to promote accessibility in these spaces you're right that a lot of them are inaccessible if not if not completely at least somewhat inaccessible and so uh in the last couple years especially i've been talking with venues specifically like their owners and staff about making parts of their venues more accessible and talking about their accessibility in the way that they promote themselves so, yeah, that's been huge. Uh, I've even done some public speaking on those topics um, in accessible spaces or even spaces where we go in and make it accessible for the day, you know, like putting in sort of DIYing uh, ramps and things like that. Yeah. Uh, putting, up, putting up signs explaining, like, where things are and stuff like that, so... Man, that's awesome. And I think no, and I think the more people we get with disabilities and in wheelchairs in spaces of art, music, theater, all these yeah. things, like the better and more accessible they become. So that that's awesome. 
yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Obviously not this year, but the three years prior, <laughs> I had thrown a little music festival called Skitchin Fest, which is named after the zine that I produce. So I booked like a little music festival each summer and, you know, accessibility is at the forefront. I make sure that the venues I book it at are accessible and that the accessibility uh, points are very explicit in the promotion and, you know, even at the shows, you know, I, I make it so people with disabilities, especially uh, physical disabilities, you know, they have a, a safe place, you know, right at the front, you know, it, it's a space for us. And I think it's, I think that kind of thing is starting to catch on in my area, at least. And it feels very good to be a part of that. Man, that's awesome. And yeah, no, and I hope once we get through all this mess, like if I get back to the festival and everything else, but um, yeah. Well, and on that note too, I wanted to ask you like, Talking about, you know, everything that happened this past... Now, like, we can finally say 2020 is in the past. Um, but, <laughs> you know, with everything that happened in 2020 and just, like, you know, the mental health toll it takes on all of us, what were some things you did to kind of manage that? And, you know, especially being without, you know, large music ven- music venues and spaces like that. Um, like, for me, it's been, like, you know, going about Comic-Cons and all that. So, I, like, have you had any oh, yeah. strategies for kind of coping with that and, you know, getting through the past year? I've been, well, first of all, I've been reading a lot. I, yeah. I took, I, I looked at this year, uh, you know, early on it was, I mean, it's all been rough, right? But early on it was rough. It was like, man, what am I going to do? I don't, I can't go to shows, you know, like there's next to nothing to really promote. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, I can't make a space accessible right now because like nobody should be in those spaces in the first place. Right, you know? right. But um, so I kind of took it as a sign that I needed to just kind of rest this year, practice resting and and taking care of myself. So I've been reading a lot and just trying to learn how to be a better advocate and uh, not just for others, but for myself. Um, I started really addressing some things that needed better attention from me. Uh, as far as um, setting myself up to hire more and better care workers, I'm trying to, you know, get my own accessible place, you know, actually making and keeping like doctor's appointments, things like that, <laughs> you know, cause it's like, well, I have the time. I, I should be doing something like that. Uh, it, and it's been really good, uh, obviously physically, but mentally it's been, it's been incredible because I'm learning to like actually love myself in meaning, meaningful ways, you know? Uh, so I've just been learning a lot and staying really connected to uh, the disability community too. Cause I think there's a different level of understanding among us, you know, with each other. So I've been really connected with the community this year and that's been really beautiful. Man, that's awesome. I think, yeah, I, I would say too, for me, it's been a really good way to connect. I mean, like, with the work I do, I'm connected pretty much with the SMA community a lot, but even more so this year yeah. on so many more Zoom socials and that kind of thing. It's been really cool to, yeah. uh, you know, it's like, go beyond just the annual conferences and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Did you uh, go to some of the Crip Camp virtual 
uh, sessions. I wanted to. I've seen the movie several times now, but like, um, yeah. I know that they've still been doing them, but like, I need to check one of those out. I've been, I've been doing. I, most of mine have been through like QSMA and then through work, but um, uh, but okay. I do want to go to some of those and because Crip Camp, I I love that was one of the and that was, that was probably that was one of, the, of all the you know crazy things that happened in twenty twenty. I'm really glad that movie came out and like you know it was not just I think widely viewed by the disability community, but you know it was like one of the big hits on Netflix and that was really cool to see. Yeah, yeah. How cool is that, right? That was probably. I mean, like you know, it's one thing to see like uh, representation in a big movie or something, but often it's you know they're it's like a wheelchair user played by an able-bodied actor or something. Um, but yeah, like this one, it was so cool to see just so such a raw, authentic documentary with really powerful voices and that it did really, I mean, it was like on people's top 10 of the year and um, really reached a wide audience. So that was awesome. But yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. That was, it was really important. Yeah. That's great. And um, I'm wrapping up here, but uh, you know, talking about this year, I know you also started at RISD recently. So do you want to talk about that and just like, you know, anything about the treatment process for you? Uh, yeah, so I think I started at RISD. I'm two bottles in now. I think I just started my third one yesterday, and it's been pretty great so far. I like it. I like it. I was on uh, Spin Raza for two years prior. Even that, despite the um, obviously pretty invasive procedure with the spinal injections, uh, Spin Raza was pretty great too. You know, it was something that. I wondered what ever happened in my lifetime. And then I had that and my neurologist and I decided that switching over to Avristi would be a better option for me because to get spin rods, I was having to travel across the state. And here in Michigan, obviously the winters are really dangerous to be driving yeah. and traveling. And so, and especially during COVID. So yeah, um, I didn't want to be going to a hospital if it was unnecessary, and so my neurologist and I switched to RISD. Um, it was a lot of phone calling and paperwork, and you know, red tape to get through to get it. But I got it, and it's been great so far. I was actually just talking to someone this morning about how awesome it is that there's like we grew up with no treatment whatsoever. You know, maybe there were some experimental things, but no real treatment until just recently. And now there's options, like not even just one treatment for SMA. I think it's pretty awesome. It is pretty crazy just to see the stuff that's happened in our lifetime. And, um, and also I really like yeah. you about how uh, you were talking about, like when you started at and, you know, emphasizing mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm not trying to fix my disability by any means, but this is a really yeah. way to help, like, you know, improve my quality of life. And I really liked, you know, the, the words you said about that, putting the distinction there out for people. Thank you. Yeah, that's really important to me that, that people understand that, you know, this treatment isn't a cure. And I don't think that there's a or, you know, distinct black and white way to feel about cure or treatment. But I know for myself personally that I, I don't, need or want a cure and that I love my identity as a disabled person and specifically with someone with SMA. Uh, so so treating it is just like another part of having SMA to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's great, man. 
Well, man, this has been a great conversation. And um, last question I have is just when I ask for what I'll guess here is, you know, especially telling your story and like, um, especially having become like you know, kind of a self entrepreneur and artist and everything. Do you have uh -huh. any advice out there for pe other people with SMA or other people with disabilities? Yeah, I think I think you should connect with your community. I think it will greatly improve your perspective and your pride in your identity. I think I think having pride in that and together is is crucial. Yeah, yeah. definitely, man. Definitely. That's awesome. Well, Ty, no, this has been great. I want to thank you for coming on today. And um, can you tell the listeners out there where they can find you? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram. Um, you can follow my art page on Instagram. It's at tmd.art. And you can find me on Twitter at Skitchen Tweets. And then all your, like, you know, you got, um, your zines and um articles online and stuff like that so yeah cool. oh yeah and you can you can find some of my writing on thebadcopy.com that's where i talk about music and stuff like that yeah that's awesome man well Ty, yeah. thanks, thanks again for coming on and um and also one more thing i'll mention is ty was also featured in the um 31 days of sma in 2020 so you can check out his story on there as well but um but ty thanks you thank you again for coming on today this was great and for our listeners thank out there you. Oh, man, I absolutely, absolutely. This is great. Well, and uh, for our listeners out there, you can find more stories like this by subscribing to this podcast. We're all over Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast from. And then you can follow us on our YouTube channel, join our forums community, and follow our main website at smanewstoday.com for all the latest news, research, perspectives in the SMA community. I'm Kevin Schaefer, and I will see you all next time. Thanks for listening. Take care. The information in our flash briefings and podcasts are provided for informational and educational purposes only. Be sure to tune in daily to SMA News Today for the latest news and perspectives regarding the disease. Discover more content that might be of interest to you at www.smanewstoday.com. And be sure to follow us on social media and join our SMA News Today forums, a trusted SMA community ready to welcome you anytime.